0: to The Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin. I'm your host. I have been podcasting now for about 14 years. Crazy to say it. And I'm here today to answer your questions about podcasting, recording, audio equipment, video equipment, sure, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production workflows, and the news. Because you know what? Now there is podcast news. There's fun stuff to talk about. And that's what I'm going to start with. Today, before I start answering your questions, uh, and before I even start talking about the news, I just want to say congratulations and uh, how awesome to my friend Adam Curry, the podfather, the 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 guy who pretty much invented podcasting, for being on the Joe Rogan Experience. He was on episode one thousand four hundred thirty six of that show just a couple days ago. Uh, Adam lives here in Austin. We don't hang out a lot, but uh, I do get to hang out with him once in a while. He's a great, great person, uh, fun person to know. And uh, it was great listening to him on that program. So I just wanted to shout out about that. And uh, the uh, the show notes, which include a link to that episode, will be at podcastmethod.fm slash 29, because this is our 29th episode of this program. So shout out to uh, to Adam What a fun show to listen to. And, you know, you'd think that I listen to podcasts constantly. I just don't have the time to do it because I'm one of those really weirdos who, when I listen to a podcast, I like to really focus on it. So I don't listen while I'm at work. I envy the people who are um, multi-talented at multitasking to do that kind of thing. I generally will listen if I'm working out or if I'm driving or if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm sitting quietly, Uh, but I, I don't. I don't do a good job of listening because I really like to pay attention to the shows that I listen to. And I do listen to a handful of shows every week, but I really like to give it my all when I'm doing it. Um, So I don't get to listen to a ton of shows like I used to, but I still listen. I still make it a point to listen. And I'd be curious to hear what are your favorite shows. You can let me know on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And that's a great place to direct comments and thoughts and things like that. And of course, I want to add... This show exists to answer your questions. It exists to help you out. And the only way I can come up with great content is if you help me out with that. The best way to do it is via email. Yes, you can tweet me, but the best way to ask questions is via email. And uh, you can just email me, dan at 5 5tv That's my email. Or you can go to uh, podcastmethod.fm and click the contact link. And you will be able to uh, send me an email right there just as easily. But I really do want your emails. And there is no – listen, there are no dumb questions. I've got to hear your questions. And when enough people ask one thing, I know i got to dedicate a whole show to it. So if you're curious about something, something going on in the podcasting space, something as simple as this mic I got, I'm too quiet. What do I do? Like really – Whatever you're curious about, think of it as a click and clack, you know, the car talk, except with just one guy instead of two and talking about podcasting instead of cars. Let's do that. Submit your questions and I will do my best to answer them. Now, like I mentioned, there are Some really interesting things that have come up in the news over the last week since I did this episode, uh, last episode. So I wanted to go over some of those with you and and share them. And of course, like I said before, the links are going to be in the show notes at fireside.fm slash 29. That's where you'll go to see all of these links. And people have asked me, Dan, are you going to be doing a newsletter? I saw you talking on Twitter about doing a newsletter. Excuse me. I am going to be doing a newsletter. Absolutely. I'm going to be doing a newsletter. Uh, I haven't decided exactly the best format for it, but it's going to be an industry-specific newsletter. There are a lot of newsletters out there that talk about podcasting news, especially pod news being one of my favorites, and they do such a great job of covering the news. I just don't think that there's a need for me to do a news-focused newsletter, just like the segment of the news on this show is a shorter segment. It's part of the show, but it's not the whole show. Uh, but but the newsletter that I'm going to be doing will be much more about analysis of things that might come up in the news, things that come up uh, that are worth talking about, but that are worth some analysis and some thinking. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's something that I definitely am going to be doing. And to be honest, like I've got to pay the bills and keep the lights on, so there is a good chance that it might be a donation kind of a thing, too. So we'll see. I'm not sure about that. Don't hold me to that, but that's where things are looking right now. Um, now, before I get into talking about the news, one of the questions that I get a lot, I get this question over and over and over again, and I just thought that it made sense to uh, to just talk about it right here on the show so that I wouldn't have to answer people individually, I hope, and that is about audio recording software uh, for a variety of different platforms. Now, I'm not gonna really be talking about recording on Linux, because to be honest, although I use Linux all the time as servers, and I've used it as a desktop quite a bit in my career as well, I don't really know much about doing audio recording with Linux. Now, if this is something you guys do, I would love to hear about that. Again, at Dan Benjamin on Twitter, or Dan at 5 5 or the contact form, tell me what you're using. I'd love to be able to recommend that to people. And I feel like that is something that I don't know a whole lot about these days, audio, you know, software to record and edit on Linux. So if that's something you do, let me know. Would love to hear about that. Uh, in the meantime, what I can tell you about is what I use on the Mac and what I use and have used on Windows. Now, I'm not talking so much about editing as I am the actual recording process. As you all know, I run fireside.fm, which is a podcast hosting platform. That's a company that I started about three or so, four years ago. And uh, and that's what I put, a, when I'm not recording on this microphone to you guys, I'm writing code and, and working hard to make that platform even better. And one of the questions that I got from one of my customers was, how do i record audio simply and easily on windows and even more importantly than that they were doing some live streaming and they said you know what it was a hor- it was a horrible disaster it was a catastrophe because i had multiple people coming in and uh, and i they were all plugged into this one thing and i was someone was on skype and then we had a couple people locally and it, we couldn't get all of their audio to show up on the live stream it was only part of the audio and it was horrible I thought, well, of course, what you need is software by Rogue Amoeba called Loopback. That's what you need. And they said, well, I'm not on a Mac. I'm on a PC. What do I use over on the PC? And I said, oh, OK, let me do some research for you. And I actually do have an answer for her. Uh, but in in the meantime, let me talk really quickly about Rogue Amoeba and the software that they make because they make uh, several different applications that are really, really useful and have completely changed the way that I record. So if if we t- go back in time, I'm not going to add in the, the sound effect for the time machine going backwards. You can use your imagination for that. But back in the olden times, uh, what I would do is I would have a dedicated computer. And some at first I started out with these really, really cheap PCs. And then eventually I wound up inheriting and, and buying some, uh, some used Mac minis for this purpose. But On each of the Mac minis, I would run Skype and I had a different Skype account on each one of them and they were plugged into my big mixing board, which at the time was a Mackie Onyx, forget which model it was. And, um, and I would running back a signal mix minus to them, which means you take out their own voice and send back all of the other audio inputs, except them. That's called mix minus. It doesn't really matter as much anymore, but, uh, in any case, that's how I used to do it. And of course that was complicated and expensive and it's, you know, yes, if I was going to be having multiple remote guests dialing in, I might need something like that. But now typically I just have the one guest at a time, although I do have people here in the studio. And one of the questions I was asked on Twitter is, what's your current setup, Dan? How are you recording? I will share that with you a little later in the program today, but I have simplified my standard setup dramatically. First, I was recording with Logic Pro, and I recorded with Logic for a very, very long time. It, it was pretty reliable. I was able to record, and, uh, and it, would, it would just do its job. But again, that was a lot of extra work uh, to do the kind of thing that I wanted to do. I would record with Logic, but I would take the output signal of my, uh, of my mixer and send it to yet another Mac Mini that I was running NiceCast on, which was also by Amoeba. Nice cast would allow me to stream it because we stream most of our shows live. We still do. And uh, and so I had a whole lot of moving pieces and I said, man, I bet I could simplify this. Enter Audio Hijack, not Audio Hijack Pro. That's their old software. They've completely rewritten it a couple of years ago and it's brand new now and it's great. I don't know the Rogue Amoeba folks well, but I know them a little bit. They're wonderful folks. They make amazing software. And uh, what Audio Hijack lets you do is it lets you record any audio from any source on your computer or connected to your computer. And it allows you to do tons and tons of things with that audio, both while you're recording it and, uh, and, and afterwards. So for example, you could record the audio going from your USB-connected microphone, right? Easy. Um, but what if your audio interface has multiple inputs, like you've got four mic inputs like I have here and then a handful of line-ins? It'll let you pick on each different track that you want to record. It'll let you pick each of those different inputs and record it individually and record it separately, but you can also record audio right from Skype, which means you don't need Ecamm Skype recorder at all. Uh, this'll do it for you and you can record your audio as well as theirs. When you're recording Skype or just theirs, you can fill gaps with silence. You can do all kinds of really cool stuff. It's got um, EQ built into it. You can even have a low pass filter. You can use uh, a, a, like little peak meters that show you if if someone's, you know, being too loud. Uh, there's so much built into this. And what's really amazing is you can control the audio format that it's saving in. So you can do an AIF or a wave format. If you want really, really high definition, you can use MP3. Uh, what I generally tend to do is record with as, uh, and this is more recent for me, I always recorded with uh, AIF or WAV files in the past. But a few months ago, I switched to recording with MP3 files. Instead, I would set them to be like 160 or even 256. And uh, and of course, you want to make sure that you're recording them with uh, constant bit rate, not variable bit rate. And the sample rate I use is uh, 44.1. And of course, mono, because as we all know, the human voice is mono. Uh, And you know what? I'm going to make a little note later in the show to talk about a mono versus stereo because that is a question that I get a lot and I hate to say it, but people get this wrong. We'll revisit that later in the program too. But Audio Hijack lets you do all of this. You can record them all at separate tracks. You can record them on one track. You can have a summed track with everything in it. You can put out, you can send the output to different locations, and it has built-in streaming. So if you stream to like a Shoutcast or an IceCast stream, it can do all of that. It is so amazing. You can download it and try it for free. And uh, man, it is I you know what? Shame on them for not uh, sponsoring this show, even though I don't have sponsors anymore. Shame on them because they're amazing and their software is amazing. And uh, I wonder how much this is these days. Let's see, 59 bucks. And I'll tell you what, it is a steal at 59 bucks. That's a steal. So go, go get this software. Now, wait a minute. I hear all you freaking out right now. You're like, wait a minute. I'm on Windows. What about me? Don't worry, I got you covered. I did the research. There is something out there called Total Recorder. Same concept, same concept, just for PC. Now, uh, it's 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 a bit cheaper too. Um, Total Recorder standard edition is $17.95. It's not bad. Uh, and there are other, there's a, a professional edition that adds extended features if you're doing more. But again, this is by a company called High Criteria. Again, this is in the show notes too. So go check this out. It does a pretty much the same thing. You can, any input, anything that's coming into your computer, it'll handle recording of it. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. That is one piece of the puzzle. Yes, you can record this. But what about what uh, my, my uh, customer was asking about on Fireside, what she was asking about how do I get all of these different inputs? It's one thing to record them, but what if I want to send that somewhere? Like I'm streaming the audio. How do I stream all of that out? That's, that's not straightforward, especially if, you know, now if you have Audio Hijack Pro, oh, oh, and I should mention that uh, Total Recorder doesn't stream. I just want to mention that. I, I, I don't want you to think it does. It doesn't. But how do I bring that audio together? Or what if I have, what if I want to combine different audio inputs together and send them somewhere. Is that a thing that I can do? And yes, the answer is you can do that. And how do you do it? Another piece of software that Rogue Amoeba makes called Loopback. They call it cable-free audio routing for the Mac. What this lets you do is pass audio between different applications on your computer so essentially what you're doing is you're creating a virtual audio device so you can take the sound from apps or from an input device and send it somewhere else to another application for example. Now I'll give you you a a use case for this. Let's say that you wanted to, uh, let's say you're not using Audio Hijack but you need to stream or you're using different software to do the streaming or perfect example, We record a show here called The Picard. It's all about the Star Trek Picard. And we record it with uh, me and my co-hosts are Hattie and Keith. And they both sit here in the studio with me across the table from me. And we're all plugged into the focus right here. So when I want to record that or stream it out, it's very easy. It just works. But wait a second. What about when somebody is calling in on Skype we had this occasion just recently. Keith was recording from a remote location. Instead of being in person, he was on a trip uh, and he was recording from his hotel room. But he needs to hear not just me, he needs to hear Hattie too. So how do I do that? I have to sum those channels, both Hattie's channel and my channel, and send it back over Skype to him. Well, how do I do that? I use Loopback. And so what I did was I took both Hattie's channel and my channel, combined them with Loopback to create a new virtual device. And I sent that virtual device, the summed total of what's being recorded here and sent it back to Keith. Now, yes, I understand there are other ways to do it. That's just one of the things that Loopback can do, but it, it gives you the ability to do so much. You can even combine a left and right channel into a make a mono channel for just one application. So let's say that you're doing a podcast where you want to play music and you want to play it while you're talking or something. You get iTunes. How would you get that stereo signal to be mono because again, we don't want a stereo podcast. No one should ever do a stereo podcast. I'll talk about that more. I know you already disagree with me. Maybe I can convince you. You can bring those two channels into just one channel. So much you can do with this loop back. Wait a minute. You're on windows. No problem. I got the answer free there too. It's called VB audio, VB cable, virtual audio device. It. The, it I'll read from the website. It allows you to uh, make a virtual audio device that, it is like a cable, and all the signals coming into that cable, it's transported to the output. Same basic concept, and you can go check this thing out again. It's in the show notes by a company called VB Audio. Does the same basic thing, and the last thing I want to mention is something called Sound Source. Again, by Rogue Amoeba, they're like the audio nerds, love them. Uh, but this gives you total control over all of the audio on your Mac. It allows you to boost the signal of certain things. So like if the audio that's coming out is too quiet, you can boost it. You, there is a little bit of redirecting that you can do. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's really, really cool, but you do this on a per app basis, right? So you can change the output device for an individual app. Well, here's a, a situation where that can be really useful. Let's say you've got a soundboard. So I do a show called Killing Time and uh, we have a lot of fun with sound bites and clips and and, and funny things like that. Uh, that comes out of my MacBook Pro that's sitting on my desk in front of me while we're recording the show. But I don't, what if I get a notification? What if, my, you know, my kid texts me from school and needs a ride? I don't know. I don't want that ding to come across that audio output. So what do I do? You can control all of those kinds of things with Sound Source, so that only the audio from one application gets here and everywhere else it's hidden. Tons and tons of things that you can do with this. It is really, really amazing. All the input, all the output per application audio controls, audio effects that can be put on, whether it's their EQ or whether it's boosting audio. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, you can go buy this from them. Again, shame on them for not supporting the show, but it doesn't matter. I love them. I'm going to recommend them forever. They are amazing. So go check that out. Uh, Now, I said I was going to do the news and I'm going to do it. But right after that, I'm going to tell you about the mono stereo thing because it's a big deal. Now, before I do the news, though, I will mention this show exists for you and is supported by you. I do not have sponsors on this show anymore. A big part of the reason I don't want to do sponsors, I will if you guys don't support the show. I'm not threatening you. Kind of I'm threatening you. But if you don't support the show, I will have to get sponsors again because I spend a lot of time preparing this show, a lot of time recording it, and a lot of time editing it and shipping it out to you. And that time that I spend doing that, I could be spending it on something else, but I want to be doing this. So I need you guys. I don't care how much you get. I personally, I think this is a $5 a month show. That's that's my opinion. It's $5 a month. That seems fair to me. The value is $5. If you want to give less, I'm not going to say no. I need every penny I can get. My kids are going to go to college one day. I got rent to pay. So however much you want to give me, I, thank you. Uh, Patreon.com slash podcast method. Donate what you can. What I'm going to be starting to do Right here is I'm going to be starting to make videos. There are going to be gear reviews. they are going to be questions answered. they are going to be techniques and tips and other things like that that I'll be doing. The people who support the show will get that way ahead of time. And maybe there'll be a ton of exclusive content that, that only supporters get. Another thing I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be recording this show with video uh, people seem to like that. And I'll be putting it on in YouTube. You'll get those videos first. There's a ton of other things I'm going to be doing for supporters. Maybe there'll be uh, you'll maybe you'll get that newsletter I was talking about as part of it. I don't know. But right now, if this show means something to you and is helpful to you, it would mean a lot if you would consider supporting the show. Patreon.com slash podcast method. Just think about it. Think about it. That's all I'm saying. It would help me out a lot. I need to pay bills. Now on to the news. Public media found its answer to Spotify in Pocket Casts. That's right. This is an article in The Verge by Ashley Carman, friend of the show. Ashley Carman she's a very, very nice woman. I've spoken to her a few times, a great writer over there. She's her focus is podcasting, among other things. And um, the, the big news, I'll just read from the article. The BBC uh, and Pocket Casts announced that uh, BBC is investing into Pocket Casts. They want to continue to have an open ecosystem, freely available RSS feeds. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, there are a lot of apps out there. Spotify being the big one. Spotify is trying. Listen, I like Spotify. I'm a subscriber of Spotify and I have been for years. They want to own podcasts. And that's a fundamental difference between Spotify and Apple. And this is just me, my feelings, my observations, okay? But I really feel that Apple's attitude about podcasts is very different from Spotify. I was just watching that clip when Steve Jobs was talking about putting podcasts into iTunes. And he was talking about how great it is that podcasts are free. And he said on stage... This is like 2004. He said on stage, you know, I think eventually we'll have some kind of ad supported revenue in here. But the great thing about podcasts is that they're free. That's paraphrasing out of direct quote. And Spotify doesn't want podcasts to be free. Think about it. It's simple. All this time, what is Spotify? And this does not make Spotify bad. It's just a fact. Think about it. All this time, Spotify has been paying artists paying artists to stream their music and collecting money from people like us to do it. Podcasting, for the most part, we just want our shows everywhere, right? We just want our shows out there. We don't care how they get out there. We want them on every platform, right? Everyone should be able to listen to this, especially people on Spotify. Our content that we make, for the most part, is free. We might have ads in it, but it's free. Spotify doesn't have to pay to get our content but they can put ads before and after it and around it. And they can also get you to listen to other stuff on there that they own that does have sponsors in it that are their sponsors. And they want to keep you in their app. Is that bad? No, it's smart. Smart for Spotify. Fundamental difference from Apple, who doesn't seem at least right now, 2020 doesn't seem to want to own or control any of the podcast content. They just want to make it easy for us to listen to it. Is that good or bad? I'm not here to say if it's good or bad, Uh, you know, but it's it's interesting. And it's interesting because Spotify wants to own the content that they have in addition to giving the free content. It's that philosophy of, well, come here and the first one's free, but the second one you got to pay for. You want the best content? Well, you got to pay for that. But if you want the free stuff, yeah, I can get that. Much better model for them than... Uh, than, than paying, for arti- paying artists to stream their music so we can listen to it. Well, anyway, um, Pocket Cast is owned by NPR, and BBC Studios investing in it, well, that makes sense, I think, for, for a lot of people, but it just means that it is going to, you know, it, it, it potentially could get a lot better. And here's a quote. Obviously, our goal is both to continue to grow the audience leveraging the reach of our partners and to drive sustainability for our platform long term through our monetization efforts. Obviously, those are non-intrusive. They are all we think reasonable and we think fit with our brand image or brand approach. This is the uh, this is the CEO of Pocketcasts, Owen Grover speaking. So interesting, what will become of that? Will it become a bigger platform? who knows? It's worth watching though. Uh, another thing in the news, this is an article on medium, I think, uh, by Dan Meisner. Uh, yes, this is part of his, uh, Pacific content blog. Uh, many podcast episodes won't play in web browsers later this year. Yeah, guess what's happening. Uh, if you are serving your podcast, Without HTTPS, in other words, just regular HTTP, not over SSL, Google Chrome is going to block it. What does that mean? That means that like embedded audio players will start to fail. They won't work unless the content that's being served in them is over HTTPS, and that begins in October. Google Chrome is going to be blocking non-HTTPS audio uh, once Chrome gets to version 86. Um, yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So Dan goes on to, God, I love his name. That goes on to explain the difference of what HTTP is, HTTPS, how this is going to work. And um, man, there are there are a lot of podcasts that are only available over HTTP. A lot, a lot. So what are you going to do? You've got to use a, a podcast host that serves your files over HTTPS. I know of one. It's fireside.fm just saying we've been HTTPS from the beginning. Most of the good big ones are, but just keep that in mind. October is not as far away as you think. Uh, Another article that I found, this one is, you know, it's on, it's from Westwood one. And uh, the, the article uh, is entitled what podcast sellers say is needed to achieve 2 billion in podcast ad revenue. So you're thinking about that. That's a crazy number, right? But that is, is really an achievable number, and it's just a matter of time. Uh, Some of the quotes from this article were interesting. Um, For example, uh, they say both sellers and agencies, advertisers, give poor marks on the current state of podcast measurement, though there is a sense that things are looking up. Again, measurement being the trickiest thing. I used to talk about downloads a lot on this show in season one. Now that we're in season two, we're doing a much better job as an industry of Keeping track of actual downloads. There are different measurement systems that people use. The, the biggest one, the one most of y'all have heard of is uh, IABs, uh, the Internet Advertising Bureau's uh, measurement system. And so there's a big thing about being IAB compliant and IAB certified. Um, of course, most of the hosts nowadays are, are IAB compliant, which means that the way that they track downloads complies with what the IAB recommends. You should use the methodology that you should use to do that. And, uh, and, and so Fireside, of course, is and most of the big ones are. But IAB certification comes at a heavy cost. That's where you pay the IAB Tens of thousands of dollars. I've heard it's 40. I've heard it's $50,000 for them to certify and say, yes, you have proven to us that your methods of tracking downloads are compliant. And now you get to put this badge on your website and thank you for the $50,000. Next, um, we're not IAB certified and I don't have plans to be IAB certified because. I'm not in love with IAB's methodologies. They're fine. They're fine. Uh, Things could be a little better or a little bit different. But the point is we're compliant, and I think that's enough for most people. Do I see a dark day in the future when advertisers say they will not sponsor a show that is not AEB certified or on an IAB certified host? I hope not. I hope sponsors aren't going to, and sponsors, if you're listening, don't do it. I like an independent free, open ecosystem for podcasting. But there does need to be a reliable way to measure these downloads. And right now, measuring downloads is up to the podcaster. And that's scary. If I'm a sponsor, if I'm an advertiser, and you say you get 20,000 downloads per episode in the first week, that number better be right. And if you're lying about it, Or if you're not lying, but you think it's true, but you're using some questionable method to track your downloads, you may think you're getting 20 and you're only getting eight. That's not so good. So it makes sense why we have things like the IAB and the other systems that are out there. I have come up with an even better way to do it, but unfortunately... My system requires participation from podcast clients and a whole bunch of other things. And I'm going to try and get it out there sometime in Q2. And maybe people will like it. And maybe they'll they'll be interested in it. And maybe it will be a total failure. I don't know. I'm just trying to make things better, guys. That's all I'm trying to do is help. Uh, Another article on a website called mypodcastreviews.com. What they have done is they have collected uh, some data from Apple Podcasts. They update it nightly. And they show you things like how many podcasts are out there in the world as of the time that you load the page and how many episodes seem to be out there. And this all comes again from Apple Podcasts, but they put it into some really cool charts that show podcasts that have been added and removed. And so here's some examples. As of right now, as I look at this, it says there are 911,130 total valid podcasts Yep, and there are 27,119,547 total episodes available in feeds. 2,562 podcasts were added yesterday and 50,000 were added in the last 30 days. That's crazy, isn't it? Think about that. And they got detailed activity. They got it broken down. They have a lot of them as active and a lot versus inactive. Check this out. 42%, almost 43%, of podcasts out there are active, 57% are inactive. What does that mean? They define active as any podcast that's published at least one episode in the last 90 days and inactive as any podcast that is not published in that time. It doesn't mean those shows are, uh, I hate the word dead, but they're not dead. It just means they haven't posted within the last 90 days. But that's an interesting figure, isn't it? Less than half are updated in 90 days. Hmm... Uh, let's see. We got. I got one more piece of news that I wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, in the UK, they have a different way of saying different words. I'm never sure which I like better, the American pronunciation of niche or the British pronunciation of niche. Niche is how we say it here. Niche, I think, is how they say it over there. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to sweat it. But I'm just going to say niche this time. Niche podcasts have more listeners indicating untapped advertising opportunities. This comes from a website called mediamonitors.com. And so listen to this. They've broken it down. They did surveys. They talked to people. They asked questions. And they looked at the top 25 podcasts. They've got a cool list of those top 25 podcasts, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But they broke it down between men and women. And they say that female listeners like true crime categories. Uh, and, and male listeners, guess what they like? Sports and comedies. Big surprise. Uh, they don't even talk about tech stuff in here. Uh, but I just thought that was fascinating. And so here's their list of uh, top 25 podcasts. And one thing I want, I'm going to read these to you, okay? I'm just going to read the podcast title. And I want you to think about what all of these shows have in common as I do it, okay? Uh, and I'll, I'll read the publisher too. Joe Rogan Experience, uh, Fill in the Blanks, which is Dr. Phil's podcast, Crime Junkie podcast, My Favorite Murder, The Dave Ramsey Show, um, Lunchtime with Rogan and Rodney, that's iHeartMedia, The Daily from New York Times, ESPN podcasts, uh, Serial, The Joe Budden podcast with Rory and Mall, which is a Spotify show, TED Talks Daily, which is PRX, This American Life. It goes on like that. Hear anything in common? I'm giving you a second. Oh, with very few exceptions, these are all done by major media companies and media figures. And what have I been saying for years? That podcasting is going to be taken over and dominated by people and companies with huge followings and large media presence and media figures. And guess what's happened? Every single one of these, with the exception of a couple, and My Favorite Murder is a a standout example of a great show that was just started by just two people who had a passion for what they were talking about and knew how to make it fun and funny. Um, I saw them, uh, a live show of theirs was great. Guess what? They're all, almost all of the other ones are by big companies and and full of media figures. So what does that mean for you? Like literally, there is nothing in this top 25 list that is a, really, with the one or two exceptions, that is an independently produced show, not by a media figure. So what chance do people like us, who are just regular people and don't have millions of followers, to get listed in the top 25 podcasts? Well, think about the, uh, think about the title of this, is that niche podcasts... Those, that's where we can shine. So come out with something that's really unique and really individual and really your own thing. That's where you can shine because there is an audience for that. You might not get a million downloads an episode, but your audience is going to be really, really focused in. For example, uh, one of my biggest passions and, and interests, I should say, and don't laugh, How dare you laugh at me is a UFOs and the study of UFOs and UFO research. And this is something that I have been really, really interested in since I was a little boy. And I have absolutely loved this field. I'm disappointed that it's been politicized recently and, and, uh, and I don't like that, but This is something that is very, very interesting to me. And for the longest time, I mean, I used to listen to um, Coast to Coast. And oh, man, I loved these shows growing up. That's why I wanted to get in podcasting in the first place, because I love talk radio. And for me, the idea of doing a show like this about UFOs and about subjects related to that, this has been a lifelong passion. It's something I've really worked up to. And you know what? Podcasting now for 14 years, I feel like I'm finally ready to do the show. And so I'm going to be doing it. I have no idea the size of the audience that I'm going to get from that show. I have no idea if it'll be supported by the listeners. Of that show. I have no idea. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's scary because I've always pretty much stayed in the tech space with my podcasts. You know, uh, I've ventured into a couple other things. But this is a completely different thing. And the show format is going to be completely different. And I'm just like all of you. I might come out with this show. I'm going to get 100 downloads an episode. Guess what, though? I'm going to be thankful for every single download that I get because it's scary to put yourself out there in a space that's new. And if I can get 100 people to listen to that show, that would be awesome. So, well, stay tuned for that if that's something you're interested in. And now on to your questions. This question comes to us from Josh Mangan. Hope I'm saying your name. I'm bad with names on Twitter. I I, I, uh, I feel bad about it. So if you're tweeting a question to me or emailing me a question and you have a tricky last name that's not like Smith or Jones and you want me to say it right, please put a pronunciation in. I'll do my best. Uh, Josh asks, some larger shows out there are zero edit. Kind of like Drive Time Radio hosted online. Do you consider these as sort of a different product since production is so different or do all podcasts deal with the same fundamentals? Do you listen to any zero edit shows? Okay, great question. And you know, as the podcasting industry has matured, more and more shows are what I would call edited or produced shows. You know, uh, more and more of them fall into that category. And the difference is, You know, they might record a lot of stuff and then they're editing it, then they're assembling it. Maybe it has a music bed. Maybe there are sound effects going on in it as opposed to pretty much what Josh said, which is like the kind of stuff you'd hear live on the radio. I don't have a preference. I like both kinds of shows and I like them both for different reasons. I will say that most of the shows that I do uh, myself are what you would call just zero edit live or drive time style shows. We do some editing, for example, if if someone curses and I need to edit it out because we want, don't want to have an explicit rating on the show, little things like that. But I'm not really editing very much for content. I used to do a sh- an interview show called The Pipeline where I would interview someone and I heavily edited those shows. I would take out ums and ahs. I would restructure the interview to make it more interesting. If the um, if the person I was interviewing would make a comment or, or share something that related to an earlier topic, I might even move them together. I mean, I was doing a lot and it was all with the intent of making the guest sound really good and making the show be compelling to listen to. Nowadays, again, most of the shows that I do are just sort of live. Uh, this show, I do a lot of prep work for, but I don't do a lot of editing of this show. So I do a lot of work researching what I want to talk about I may write some things down I may use an outline I may even write several paragraphs that I want to read depending on on the episode or what my thoughts are about it or how difficult the topic is that I want to discuss but overall this is more of a live show you're getting me and what I'm saying right here into the microphone with very little editing in post-production, but a lot of work in front. And so that would be my advice to people who are doing or who want to do a zero edit kind of a show. You've got to put in a lot of time ahead of time. Know your subject, know your material. If you're interviewing someone, know what they do. Develop your questions ahead of time and practice, practice, practice so that when you are doing the show live, why it's automatic and it'll sound professional and no one will know that it wasn't heavily edited because you're a pro now. You're so good at what you do. So that's my advice for that. Um, yes, I listen to a lot of zero edit shows. I enjoy those kinds of shows a great deal. Um, and uh, and my favorite show like that would be No Agenda. Again, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak, one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, they do not, I mean, I know they do some editing, but it's pretty much what you hear live, because I listen to them live. That's pretty much what you get. Uh, when they roll out the podcast. So that's an example. I do consider them a different product in the same way that I would consider a late night talk show like um, The Tonight Show is very different from the Chernobyl on HBO. Very, very different show and you get a very different result from it. Uh, so thanks for that question, Josh. I appreciate it. Andy Espas. Gosh, I'm so bad. I'm sorry, Andy. Andy. Um, Uh, writes, I've been interested in voice EQ processing. Can you describe your setup and give examples of it on and off? I'm not going to give you examples of it on and off during the show because it's technically difficult to do that. But yes, I would love to do that. And I will be doing that for Patreon supporters and a video that's coming up and it's on my list of things to do. Uh, but I can tell you what my setup is very easily. It is a very, very simple setup these days, much, much more simple than it used to be. Um, my m- What I'm currently recording through right now is the microphone that I've had for the longest time uh, it's a Shure SM7B. This is the microphone that everybody in the whole world uses and has used forever. It's one of the best studio mics ever made. It can take a beating, and I've dropped this thing too many times. I've had uh, mic booms break, and it's landed on the ground, and it's fine. It's a wonderful microphone, and uh, and it, it's, it's just great. And it's slick, and it's nice, and it looks good on camera if you do video, and man, it is just a great microphone, at least for most people's voices. There are a lot of people's voices that don't sound so good through it. But generally speaking, you can, almost anyone will sound good through this microphone. What it does not do is make someone sound good. That, there are microphones that will do that, um, but this one won't make you sound good if you don't sound good. It's a very good at just capturing you the way that you sound. And that's what I love about it. Now, uh, that is, uh, tends to be a more gain-hungry mic. What does that mean? Uh, that means because it's a dynamic mic, That means that it's gain-hungry to begin with, but even compared to dynamic mics, it's very gain-hungry. And that means you need a lot of good, quiet, clean gain in your audio interface, the thing that you plug your microphone into that then connects it to the computer so that you can record. It needs to be able to power this microphone. Almost think of gain as like weight. You know, if something's heavy and you're trying to pull it, you need to be big and strong to pull that weight. That's like what gain is. And so whatever preamp you choose to use with this microphone, it's got to have a decent amount of gain. Uh, and then what am I plugging into? I'm plugging into a Focusrite Scarlett 18i8. That will be in the show notes. This is a recent purchase for me. I got it a few months ago. I got it when I started to have more people in the studio and I wanted to record different audio signals from different devices and as well as multiple people in the studio or people who are remote. Uh, and I wanted to do that in a way that I, you know, with simple as possible. And this focus, right, is a wonderful, wonderful piece of equipment. Again, in the show notes, if you want to get one and, uh, and, and I really enjoy it. It has four preamps in it, all with very clean gain. And, uh, and then it's got some line inputs too. If you have external devices that you want to connect, it just works. It's got it all. And I'm really enjoying it. And if you don't need four inputs, they make a version that has one, two, three inputs in it. Well, they might not have three, but you get the idea. So depending on what you need, you can get the device that's going to have that. Now, this replaced my uh, Universal Audio Arrow, which had only two inputs. I still use that and that's what i'm using in my video setup as well still with a with a shure sm7b plugged into it uh the difference with the arrow is it does only have two inputs it's driven by um by thunderbolt uh like the usb3 style thunderbolt port and um and that's where it gets its power and also where it uh, connects to your computer. So you need a computer that can support that, obviously. Uh, but what's great about the Universal Audio stuff is their inline uh, plugins, these amazing preamps that they have, the amazing effects, whether it's a de-esser or uh, or a uh, a really great preamp that they've completely modeled to sound exactly like the real thing. Those things are just amazing. And they're even more useful when you're not going to be doing a lot of post-production or when you're doing a lot of live work, especially because the signal that you're getting out of that that's being recorded is going to sound the way you want. You might not even need to do any EQ or post-production on the audio that you record with one of those things. Why don't I use it now for this? Because again, I have more people here and that only had the two ports on it. It wasn't enough. So I had to get something else. But I still use that. And I also use that if I have to have a mobile setup that's a little bit more involved than just me talking. It's great because it's pretty portable. It's just a a really cool matte gray box that it's heavy, but you can take it with you very easily. And it doesn't have extra power adapters because it gets its power from Thunderbolt. Uh, So I'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, And so I'm recording with uh, Audio Hijack. And then I open that up in Logic, and I have some uh, presets, uh, channel strips that I use that has built-in EQ and some compression. But I don't do a lot of stuff uh, in the back end. I don't do a lot of audio processing in post. And of course, I'm I'm not insane enough to strip silence or anything like that. Why would I do that? It just makes it harder to edit and move stuff around. Never do that. Instead, just use a noise gate uh, and limit. Uh, so that way, it cuts out all the background noise and stuff that doesn't hit. A certain peak level, very easy to do. Maybe I'll do a whole uh, video on that at some point, but I hope that answers your question, Andy. I appreciate it, and thank you. Uh, Tarin Gangwani asks, tips for doing a solo podcast? How long should it be? Hmm, I'm doing one right now, and we're about 45 or so minutes in. Um... Yeah, I I don't know what the right length should be for that. It's a great question, but I think it depends more on what audience you're going for. And I think it depends also a lot on what your material is. If you are giving the daily news on a specific subject, I bet you could do that in about five or 10 minutes, maybe even five, maybe less. But if you're doing, say, a show where you talk about, I don't know, podcasting and podcast news and answer people's questions, I suspect that could be 60 minutes and it would feel just right. You're going to have to experiment. And you know who's going to give you the best answer? Not me, your audience. When you're doing your podcast, do it however long you think you should do it and ask your audience what they think. Get their feedback and let them know that their feedback matters because it really does. They will help you create the best show possible. What I will say is, and I've said this before, 20 minutes is a good length, You you know, between 20, 20 and 30 minutes and an hour is a good length and 90 minutes is a good length because those tend to be manageable times for people. They tend to be reasonable times like it takes you about 20 minutes to drive to work and it takes you about 20 minutes to get home. If you have a shorter commute. If you have a longer commute, it probably takes closer to 45 minutes to an hour. So you want to give people a natural stopping point. If their commute's 20 or 30 minutes and your show's an hour long, that's cool because they can stop it about halfway and they can finish it on their drive back home. That's pretty cool, but you want to try and keep that in mind when you're when you're making a show. How long is it and how long are people gonna have to devote to listening to this? Um, Karen Jane Foote, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, says, what direction do you give guests you are recording yourself via Skype, both technical and flow? And, uh, and so I replied to them and I said, do you mean direction regarding content or technical? And they said both, but heavier on the technical because they can get overwhelming to a non-techie guest. And the question is more or less, I have people who I'm recording, and I want them to record remotely, and I want them to sound really good. And, uh, and Karen asks a great question, is how, how do you do that without burdening them with some difficult uh, prospect? Well, my answer is, if you really want to be nice, then you record them. That's what I do here. Again, what I mentioned with Audio Hijack Pro, I record them over Skype. I will do much more post-processing on somebody who's coming in over Skype. I will spend a lot of time EQing them, adding compression, noise gate, limiter, all of that to really, really sweeten their sound and make them sound as close as uh, as they can to having been recorded on a good microphone in a good studio. But for an example of this, and I will put this into the show notes, I, re- I mentioned before that we do... Uh, We did. We do a show called The Picard, which is about Star Trek Picard. Now, I do not expect all of you to go and start listening to this show unless you're really into the Picard and uh, and 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 shows like that. But on episode five, which is uh, coincides with episode five of the broadcast, uh, the of uh, Star Trek Picard, um, our uh, guest Keith, our co-host Keith, was out of town. Like I'd mentioned. He was recording over his iPhone headset. That, you imagine, would sound pretty horrible, but it sounds pretty good. Why? Because I did a lot of post-production on it. So I have put that link into the show notes. Listen to that episode and see for yourself. See if it sounds reasonable for you. That was somebody in the hotel, on hotel Wi-Fi, over an iPhone headset, not even AirPods, plugged into their computer, recording them that way. And then I did the EQ. I'm not going to say that it's as good as sitting in front of a Shure SM7B in a real studio, right? But it sounds pretty good. So, Karen, you could do that. The other thing that you could do is if your guest has a better microphone, you can ask them to record themselves. Now, here's the important part. This is called a double ender in the business. Ask them to record themselves. They can use any software they want. If they're on a Mac, they have QuickTime built into the Mac that allows them to record, make an audio recording, lots of other software, but pretty much any software at all that will record a microphone input. That's all they need to do. And they just hit record before you all start talking, and they hit stop when you're done, right? And then they upload that audio file to you any way they want. Dropbox, you know, Firefox has its uh, Firefox Send uh, feature, or uh, website, rather. And um, there's so many ways to get a file to someone these days. They get that file, but you record their side too using Audio Hijack Pro or something like that. And then when you're editing it in Logic, you can visually align their audio that they sent you to the audio reference that you recorded of them. And then you'll discard it once it's lined up. But beware of something called Audio Drift, Audio drift is a very normal, natural thing that happens when re- audio is recorded on one system versus another system. So what's that, what that means is when you bring their audio in that they recorded on their computer separately from yours, there is going to be drift, meaning at some point the audio they recorded and the audio that you recorded of them will get out of sync. And you fix that simply by cutting, splicing out a little bit of the blank audio on their track And moving their audio back in sync with that original track that you recorded in Audio Hijack Pro or similar. And then once it's all lined up throughout the whole episode, then you mute or delete their Skype recorded track and use just their audio and it's all lined up perfectly and you're done. That again puts the burden on you, Karen, or us as the podcaster and takes it off of the guest. So those are your two options for that. Uh, and, uh, and it, it's worked well for us. That's how I record all of my shows that I do with remote people. That's how I've recorded every one of them for years now uh, since I got rid of that weird Skype setup I described in the beginning. Frank Stallone, I would love to hear about the best sound deadening for your buck. I know there are ones that can sit on the microphone boom. Are they any good? Frank, I have never used anything that can sit on a microphone boom. I have seen those, I hear people use them and have said that they work great. That's not what I do. I use regular acoustic foam that you can buy on Amazon, and that's where I bought mine, from Amazon. And it's pretty cheap, and I will put some in the show notes for you and for anyone who's interested. It's basically like kind of like egg crate material, but it's designed to be sound baffling. They come in lots of different colors and different shapes and different styles. I've used all different kinds of shapes and styles, and I cannot tell you, if one is better than another, they all seem to work the same. But what's interesting about it is you put it up on your wall. It kind of looks cool and uh, makes it feel like you're in a like legit studio. And uh, and it really does wonders to stop a lot of the, uh, the slap back and the other sounds that you can get. Uh, and it, it definitely helps deaden the room. And so that's what I've been using here. I've got it on four walls. Around me, and it makes a really, 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 really big difference. Now, if you're in a smaller space, if you're in a small recording space, or you don't have the luxury to install stuff along your walls, or your spouse or significant other doesn't like the look of it, there are other options. I know people who have made their own, they've taken like three pieces of poster board or three pieces of uh, plywood and attached them to that, and they kind of make a little cave that they can fold up and put away. I've seen people use the microphone thing that you're talking about. Ikea makes some kind of sound baffle that I recommended before and then it sold out. I think I'm not why it sold out, but maybe um, I haven't used that one in person. So I can't really say if it works or helps, but you know what? Something I've done in a hotel before, you take a comforter and you put it over yourself and you make a little, like when you were a kid and you made a fort, make yourself a fort, a recording fort. That's what you need. Uh, Make yourself a recording fort Put it over you. That trick I learned from field reporters and NPR. That's what they do a lot of the time. And it really, really works. So don't be afraid to try things. No one's watching you. Put the comforter over yourself and record a show and see how it works. The best audio I ever recorded was when I was first moving to Austin nine years ago. And I was recording in my closet in our rental home. We had a vacation rental for like two weeks while we found out, we figured out where we were going to actually live and the house we were going to buy. And I recorded in a tiny little closet with all my clothes and stuff hanging around me. And it was amazing. The sound was totally deadened. I sounded amazing. It was great. Go into your closet and record. Why not? Christian Bradford asks, do you have a method for trying to get interviewees to record themselves on their side for better audio than you'd get through Skype, etc.? Well, I did answer this question a little bit before about what I suggest they use, but I'm thinking maybe Christian means how do I convince people to do it? Well, all you have to say is, um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to record your side of the conversation. I really just want you to sound good. I don't want it to sound amateur. I'd hate for people's first exposure to you to be over a really crappy quality mic. What do you think? And a lot of the time they'll be like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll send that audio to you. Uh, Josh Liston asks, When and why did you return to the SM7B? From memory, you finished up season one still on the Telefunken. That's right. I was on the Telefunken M80 and I still have the Telefunken M80 right up there. There he is on that other boom. Uh, And that's what I put Keith on. So why did I switch back to the SM7B? The reason is because I love it. I love this microphone it is so straightforward. It's an honest sound. This is what I sound like. Very, very little color being added to my voice. If you met me in person, of course, if you're listening to me on your car stereo with the bass tuned up, I'm going to sound really good. But if you're listening to me on like regular headphones and you hear me in person, we're going to I'm going to sound exactly the same. I don't want to color my voice. I don't want to change my voice. I don't want to make it sound like it like different from what I sound like. And the SM7B does a really good job of just straight up capturing me the way I sound. I've used a lot of mics. I've used the SM7B. I've used the SM58. Um, I've tried a handful of Samson mics. Uh, I have tried the uh, Heil PR40. Gosh, I was in the Heil PR40 for many, 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 many years, but always came back to the SM7B. I just like it. Chad Landman, Dan, love the show. Love all your shows. What do you find is the hardest thing to overcome to be able to be consistent with your shows? As someone with a full-time job and family, I find it difficult to be consistent. Thanks. Great question, Chad. And this is something I think we all struggle with, all of us, because we all have jobs. Like I said before, like most of my time, I'm doing work on Fireside. I'm not in front of a microphone recording and editing nine hours a day. I might do it two hours a day, maybe a little more or less depending on the day. But the rest of the time, maybe I'm coding for Fireside or I'm helping out with sales at 5x5 or, you know, doing doing developer meetings or just, you know, a million other things that comes with running a business. So I totally hear you. It's tough. And, and we're all really, really busy. So and I've got kids. So what do you do? How do you make the time? to be consistent with your shows. My first bit of advice is don't overcommit to something. Seasons are a wonderful way to approach a show, whether it's you doing it by yourself or you doing it with somebody else. Seasons are a wonderful way to help uh, to help control that expectation you put on yourself of how to spend your time and how you're going to spend your time. So if you can say, I commit to a season and a season is going to be 10 shows. I'm just making this up. 10 episodes. Commit to those 10 episodes. Do the season. Let your audience know this is this first season. We're going to do 10 episodes. And if it goes well and you like it and you have time and you made the time, start season two the next day with episode 11 and do 20 of those, you know, 10 more of those and you'll have 20. But break it down so that you're setting your audience expectations. That's one thing that you can do. Another thing that you can do is commit to doing it regardless of how many episodes you plan to do, even if it's unlimited, even if it's indefinite uh, and just going on forever. When you commit to it, make it a priority. The same way that you'd make a priority to go see your kids, you know, Uh, game at school, or the same way if you're helping your kid do homework, or if you've got a a date, you're not going to just skip out on the date, you're going to get dressed up for it, make time for it and go to it. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever that thing is, or if you have another kind of hobby that you really like that brings you joy, I always found that for me, when I wasn't, whether it was blogging back in the day or podcasting later, if I wasn't doing it, I was busy thinking about it. So it was really easy for me to want to be on the microphone, to want to get back to doing a show, to want to be able to, uh, to to make the time to do it because I loved it. I loved it and I wanted to do it. The first episode I did with Merlin Mann of our show Back to Work was January 18th, 2011. January 18th, 2011. Our latest episode was January 21st, 2020. We have done 461 episodes. We have done them every Tuesday. Now, we've changed our times here and there, but we do it now at 1030. But every Tuesday since 2011, nine years, we have shown up and done that show. Yes, we make money from the show. We actually, I make most of my podcast living from that show uh, because you guys need to support this show more. Just saying, um, but... It's a joy to do that show because I learned something new from Merlin every time. I have a great time doing the show and I'm proud to be doing that show. And so for me, there's a reason to do it. I want to do it. So it's not hard to do it. If you're going into it like a slog, like I got to record another episode. Ugh. I'm not saying that every episode is great or that I'm always like, I can't wait to record on Tuesday. There are plenty of times where I was like, yeah, it feels like a job sometimes, but you know what? You're still doing something that should make you feel good, and you're doing something for an audience, and that audience cares. And whether it's a hundred or a hundred thousand or a million, those people want to hear from you, and that should make you feel good. And that's what inspires me to do it anyway. You know, I've got three more. We're pat. We're like getting up to that hour time point. Out. I'm going to do them. I'm doing them. I don't care. Daniel Sharon starting a three person podcast, and all three are remote. All three have recording experience. I will be editing what recommendations for call methods, Skype, Google, et cetera. And is there other than double ending a way to get separate tracks for each? Really good question. Um, Yes, you can go back to my old setup where you have three different machines to record all three people. So you get three computers, Mac, PC, whatever, run Skype on them. Plug them into your mixing board and hit record and they'll all be recorded on separate tracks. This is an expensive way to do it. It's a cumbersome way to do it. And it's a little bit more time consuming, but you can do it that way. As far as recording separate tracks, there are applications out there like Zencaster and others that will do this. So look into Zencaster and look into other in-browser recording methods because what those do is those are essentially creating a double ender. They record the audio locally from each of those different people and then they combine them or, or, or just send them up to you and you can grab them and edit. Much better solution than that convoluted way of having those separate machines that I described. Usually it costs a little bit of money, but it's well worth it. And, uh, and so that's what I would look into. Look into Zencaster and some of the other solutions out there for that. That is the best way to do it because essentially you're getting all the benefits of the double ender without them having to record. Now, asking them to record with their own copy of QuickTime or Audio Hijack or something else that's free, it's not a lot to ask. It's really not a lot to ask. And if this is a show that's going to be going on every week, you might consider that or consider using something like Zencaster. Uh, Because it's a much better, much easier solution. And um, all right, I'll do one more. Darren Dykes asks, alas, another question. Is the podcast player, Apple, the only place to rate and review a podcast? I didn't find a way to do so in Overcast. I love that player, but want to rate my faves. Really, the two big players said it before in this show. It's Apple and Spotify. Those are the best places to go to rate and review podcasts that are going to get it out in front of the biggest audience. They really are. Yeah, you can do it within an app if an app lets you do that. Some apps take recommendations from the other services and, and, and take them into consideration. Some of them look at how things are being tweeted. But really, it's Apple and Spotify as the two places to go. So I'll say it now. If you like this show, please, 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 I beg you. I beg you rate it on iTunes and Spotify. You can leave a review that's even better, but rate the show. It is the best way to help new listeners find out about it. And if you're not the type to want to support the show on Patreon, that's cool. I appreciate you for listening. That's all you got to do is listen. You're helping me by listening. But if you don't want to give me money, maybe give me a review and do that for all the shows that you love too. If you're a listener to a show, it's the same thing on YouTube. If you watch a YouTube video and you like it, that helps them by clicking that little thumbs up that really helps them. Consider doing that. But you can do the same thing uh, for this show and for the other shows that you like by just rating them and reviewing them on iTunes and Spotify. It's the best way to do it. And you know what? I'm going to leave you with that thought. Go help out the shows that you love by giving them good ratings and good reviews. And uh, and I appreciate all of you listening. And I really appreciate those of you who are supporting the show on Patreon. And if you have an idea for how I could reward you for supporting, if you're listening to this show and you're thinking, Well, if he did that, I would support it. I want to know. So go to podcastmethod.fm, click contact, and send me your feedback. Send me your questions. I can't make the show without you. Yes, you. I'm talking about you, the one who's saying, ah, you don't want to hear my question. I do. I need to hear it. So send it in, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Dan Benjamin at Dan Benjamin on Twitter, podcastmethod.fm. Go check it out. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.